MSW Media. Thanks to Thuma for supporting the Daily Beans. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel at home with The Bed by Thuma. Go to thuma.co slash beans and use code beans to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of The Bed, plus free shipping in the continental U.S. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, July 14th, 2022. Today, Trump's lawyers seem to think Meadows is going to be charged with a crime. The committee says they're considering a second series of hearings sometime toward the end of August. A person is arrested in the rape of a 10-year-old Ohio girl who had to travel to seek abortion care to Indianapolis. A third person associated with Tina Peters in Mesa County, Colorado, is arrested. The Antifa man arrested for arson and Biden graffiti turns out to be MAGA. Lindsey Graham officially files to quash his Fulton County subpoena and a third option in the Greenberg Gates investigation. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everyone. Thanks for sticking with me through this week, through Dana's vacation. Big show today. Let me talk first really quick about this third potential option in the Greenberg Gates investigation. We learned earlier this week that Joel Greenberg's sentencing had was supposed to be scheduled. The judge was like, let's do this in August, y'all. And then he, he finally they filed some stuff under seal and maybe had a hearing under seal. And then the judge said, OK, we've come to a decision. December 1st of this year is going to be Greenberg's sentencing date. And so um, I, I asked around Renato Mariotti, who is a very uh, amazing uh, person, host of the On Topic podcast here on MSW Media, said, hey, this could be a couple of things. Either they're not going to indict Matt Gates because they don't need Greenberg's testimony or they are and they don't need his testimony at trial. But there might be a third option here because, you know, I asked legal Twitter if for un- unforeseen circumstances, for some reason, they haven't been able to indict Matt Gates until we were within that 60 day window of an election as the DOJ, you know, kind of has a policy that prohibits that. Uh, and, you know, more specifically, the DOJ says you can't indict somebody for political reasons, but the DOJ generally avoids indicting people within 60 days of an election. And it says in the, me- in, you know, in the OLC memo that primary elections count as well for that. So that like blocks out like six months of this whole year where you can't indict Matt Gates. There'd be a, what, like a little week and a half window in August, first week of September, end of August to do so. And so they might not have been able to indict Gates, even, you know, even if they maybe plan to or maybe have done so under seal. And so there is something that allows a witness to testify after their sentencing and then apply for more leniency after they testify. Because, you know, normally, and, and Renato pointed this out, you, you want to testify and give your full testimony and then be sentenced so that that testimony and what happens in that case can be taken into account when you're sentenced. So this happened with John Dean back in the day. His testimony came after his arrest, and, and then they commuted the you know his sentence. So I I think that could be a potential third option. It's it's way out there. I'm pushing the boundaries, but they might want to indict Matt Gates after the election. And then of course, you know, the trial wouldn't happen until after Greenberg is sentenced. And then Greenberg could apply for amendment 
to his sentence after he testified at that trial. We'll see. I don't think the Gates indictment will come before the election. I hate it that these politicians get this kind of, you know, favor over regular folks who don't run for office. So that does suck. And I and I just want to let everyone, you know, know, know that I hate that. I don't think that's equal justice, but that's just me. It is a DOJ policy. And we know that some of the folks in the DOJ are following the rules pretty closely, especially on big cases like that. So anyway, I just wanted to get that option out there. That could be what's going on. They might file something under seal and indictment. I don't know. We'll see what happens. What I can guess is that Matt Gates has not been told they are not going to indict him. They haven't given him a declination because he would have told us all by now that he was innocent. All right. We're going to do uh, the news and then we're going to have uh, a quick break. Then we'll have the good news at the end of the show. If you have any good news to send in to us, please do so at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Big news from Rolling Stone. As she opened the House January 6th committee hearing Tuesday, Liz Cheney ticked through a list of names of people Donald Trump's legal team have attempted to pin the blame for the Capitol attack, naming the president's lawyers, MAGA friend lawmakers, and others. Mark Meadows, Trump's former White House chief of staff, did not make the list. She says, ah, they're going to blame Eastman, they're going to blame Clark. This is when she said, that's nonsense, of course, because Donald Trump is a 76-year-old man, not an impressionable child, and he should be held responsible for his own actions. But Meadows didn't make that list. Trump's inner circle increasingly views Meadows as a likely fall guy for the former president's attempts to overturn the election. Members of Trump's legal team are actively planning certain strategies around Meadows's downfall, including possible criminal charges. Trump has himself begun the process of distancing himself from some some of his one-time senior aides' alleged actions around January 6th. Meadows's already bleak legal prospects could get even worse. Rolling Stone has learned that the 1-6 committee has been quietly probing his financial dealings and any new revelations would add to an already long list of unethical, probably illegal stuff that he's accused of taking on behalf of Donald Trump. Everybody is strategizing around the likelihood that Mark is in a lot of trouble, says a lawyer close to the former president. Everyone who knows what they're doing anyway. This reporting is based on Rolling Stone's conversations with eight, eight sources familiar with this matter each of whom is still working in Trump's political orbit or on his legal defense or in Republican circles in regular contact with Trump. The sources spoke on the condition of anonymity. A spokesperson for Meadows declined to comment. And this is where I want to remind everyone that Donald's PAC has been paying for defense attorneys for multiple witnesses, including the first lawyer for Cassidy Hutchinson. That guy's name was Passantino. When she realized he might not be acting in her best interest, but in Trump's best interest, she canned him and hired Jody Hunt. Passantino was Hutchinson's lawyer for her first three depositions, and he was getting the interview transcripts and giving them to Trump. Who knows how many other lawyers out there are repping people that have testified to grand juries from the Department of Justice subpoenas and have taken that information back to Donald. So, For these sources to say that Trump is prepping for Meadows to be charged criminally, it's clear to me they have some very good inside information and they're using it to develop Trump's defense. That's why he's doing this. That is why Trump is paying for people's lawyers so he can get information, so he can put his thumb on on their testimony so that he can maybe influence it. 
and so that you know he can get he can prepare for his defense. For Meadows, back to the article here, it doesn't help his case that he's loathed by any number of his fellow Trump world veterans, some of whom view him as two-faced and prone to double dealing and simply telling people what they want to hear. Some of Meadows' ex-colleagues and staff in the Trump administration continue to hold grudges against him, partly because they see him as responsible for putting their lives and health in danger when he oversaw a period of rapid coronavirus spread in the White House toward the end of the presidency. And the former president himself is not long on loyalty, particularly when facing legal peril of his own. Trump's team has already explored possible legal game plans about what would happen if Meadows faced additional criminal charges stemming from the events surrounding January 6th according to three people familiar with the situation. And those discussions have at times focused on how to insulate Trump should any significant charges against foot soldiers like Meadows actually materialize. Indeed, in recent weeks, Trump himself has casually dropped into conversations with some of his longtime associates that he didn't always know what Mark Meadows was doing during the months leading up to the riot or after his time in office. That's according to two sources with knowledge of the matter. When Trump finds himself backed into a corner or a moment of legal jeopardy, he will often claim, however flimsily, that he barely knew the top aide who was doing his bidding or that he didn't know what his own personal lawyers were doing for him. He did it in a New York investigation. I didn't take my taxes. My accountants do that. My CFO. Talk to that guy. Talk to Weisselberg. Furthermore, investigators on Capitol Hill have shown a willingness to investigate Meadows' private dealings beyond the scope of how directly he aided Trump during his anti-democratic and violent crusade to cling to power. According to two sources, the January 6th committee has asked some witnesses specific questions about Meadows' financial arrangements with other Trump advisors who sought to overturn the election. Now, how would they know that? Because Trump is paying for the lawyers. The line of questioning made it clear to witnesses the committee members were searching for signs of legally dubious payments. You know, Mark Meadows is um, one of his the charities that he sits for got a million bucks from the Trump pack. Remember? The congressional January 6th investigation is, of course, separate from the Justice Department's probe, though House Select Committee officials do have the power to make criminal referrals. Quote, Mark is going to get pulverized and it's really sad. That's one of Trump, Trump's current legal advisors. Based on talking to Meadows in the past, it felt like he doesn't actually believe any of this election theft stuff, or at least not most of it. He was obviously just trying to perform for Trump, and now he's maybe screwed himself completely, unquote. As the January 6th hearings on Capitol Hill have unfolded, and particularly after former Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson testified before the committee last month, Questions of Meadows' own potential liability over his conduct before and after the riot have intensified, including among Trump's former and current legal brass. Quote, I do think criminal prosecutions are possible, says Ty Cobb, a former top lawyer in the Trump White House. Possible for Trump and Meadows, certainly, and for others, including lawyers who engaged fraudulently in formal proceedings or investigations. In her appearance before the committee, Hutchinson revealed that White House staff repeatedly warned her former boss that rally goers on the mall who Trump encouraged to march on the Capitol were armed. Once informed of the threat, Meadows allegedly shrugged it off. Meadows himself, however, seemed to anticipate the January 6th rally could turn ugly when he said things might get real, real bad on January 6th. That was days before the insurrection. Meadows was back in the committee's unflattering spotlight Tuesday as uh, investigators highlighted how he assured members of Trump's government that the then-president would concede while privately encouraging him to keep fighting and aiding him in that scandalous fight. 
Legal experts say Meadows' foreknowledge of the mob on the Capitol, his own expectation that the rally could be really, really bad, and that combined with his inaction could mean potential criminal exposure for the former Trump aide. Cheney said early in July that messages sent to Hutchinson telling her that she's loyal and urging her to do the right thing in her deposition with the committee could prompt a criminal referral from the committee for potential witness tampering. Reporting by CNN and Politico identified the author of those messages as an intermediary for Meadows, but the former White House chief of staff spokesman denied that. Who he could be the intermediary, by the way. But Trump plans concerted efforts to distance the former president and other protected persons from Meadows comes amid a broader search for someone to take the fall. Cheney's list of patsies on Tuesday included Trumpist lawyer and coup memo author John Eastman, whom, as Rolling Stone reported in June, Trump's team has been eyeing, and Sidney Powell, another Trump lawyer. Cheney also named Rep. Scott Perry, who allegedly was part of the push to get the Justice Department to overturn the election. It's really interesting she left Meadows off that list, isn't it? It's really interesting she hasn't been publicly calling for Meadows to come in and testify like she did with Cipollone day after day. It's really interesting to me, and I... I have some theories. I, they're still kind of half-baked. And I know usually I'll go off half-cocked, but not this one I want to I want to hold I want to hold my cards close to my chest on this one because I'm not sure what to think about why she's leaving Meadows alone. It remains to be seen who will ultimately be saddled with the bulk of the blame and legal baggage. It is clear this collective, long known for petty backbiting and infighting before, during, and after the Trump administration, has no intention of all going down together. That's the end of the article. You should check it out. Rolling Stone. Subscribe if you're not. They're getting really good lately. Next up, let's talk about the DOJ for a second. Recently, there have been a few op-eds that have come out tearing into the DOJ for either not investigating good or people that are angry that the DOJ was blindsided by Hutchinson's testimony. I'd like to address the blindsided thing first. The reporters do not say who at DOJ was blindsided, nor what about Hutchinson's testimony blindsided them. Are these two chads in the USAO and D.C. that are working on the physical attack on the Capitol? Because, yeah, they'd be taken aback. Or are these a couple of prosecutors that were just stunned by the testimony that Donald threw his dinner against the wall or that he tried to grab the steering wheel? Or perhaps Department of Justice did, in fact, interview her, but it was when Passantino was her lawyer, so she wasn't as forthcoming. We do not know. But here's what we do know. Here are some facts. And I created a thread on Twitter called things the DOJ is investigating with regards to January 6th. And I'll keep adding to it as we learn more. But this list so far includes, number one, they are investigating anyone who impeded or attempted to impede the electoral count on 1-6, including members of Congress and anyone in the executive branch. The listener will note Trump is in the executive branch. And that came from a broad subpoena that we saw, we laid eyes on, that was out to Ali Alexander could have gone out to way more people. It was very broad. Then, number two, the fraudulent elector scheme. The Justice Department is investigating the fraudulent elector scheme. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Number three, whether Trump conspired to organize the physical attack on the Capitol. And that came from Brandon Straka, who was uh, one of the mobsters, one of the rioters, one of the insurrectionists. From an FBI 302, they asked him that. Did Trump help you do this? And they named Trump. 
They're investigating the 15 boxes of top secret documents Donald took to Mar-a-Lago. I don't know if that's tied to 1-6. I can't see that it's not, given what's probably in those boxes. Number five, anyone who organized or funded any of the Stop the Steal rallies or the Ellipse rally, VIP rally attendees, and rally security. That's from that subpoena, that wide-ranging subpoena. Number six, they're investigating Sidney Powell's Defending the Republic PAC. They've been doing that since last September. Number seven, the actual attack on the Capitol. They've arrested over 800 people. They have updates on justice.gov all the time. Number eight, Trump's communications with Navarro. And I've been talking about this subpoena for a long time. It's a weird one. And it makes me think they're investigating Trump for obstructing Congress, which is like obstruction of justice, but for the 1-6 committee. And that, uh, that subpoena said all documents from Peter Navarro relating to the subpoena you got from the January 6th committee, including but not limited to any communications with former President Trump and or his counsel or representatives. Trump is the only other person named in that. There's no crime listed, which makes me think that um, Navarro isn't the target here. You don't generally subpoena targets in contempt misdemeanor investigations. And, you know, I just, it's, that seems like an investigation into Trump to me. So there's something there. Uh, number nine, something that has to do with Bannon and Rudy lawyer, Costello. The DOJ also got all of his phone records and he had to just recently withdraw as Bannon's counsel in his upcoming Monday trial, which I'm very excited about. And finally, Rudy Giuliani. They raided him in April. That's way after January 6th. Of course, they were raiding him for his Ukraine stuff and perhaps the Hunter Biden laptop op in the Southern District of New York. Eastern District of New York is also investigating, but not him. So he was raided. All of his stuff was finally handed over through what went through the taint team and the special master. Cohen, her name is. And that all went over uh, January of this year or so was the last of it. So that's what they're investigating right now. And I'm going to be adding to that thread as we learn more stuff that they're investigating. And we've, we've learned none of this from the DOJ, by the way. We've learned all of this from recalcitrant witnesses, except for the fraudulent slate of electors thing. But we also have other information on that, especially the DOJ IG coming up and, you know, nabbing and raiding and executing search warrants on Eastman and Clark. And Carol Lennox spoke to Deadline White House today and insisted that the Department of Justice is doing more than we probably think and that we'll see more soon and we should stay tuned based on her informed knowledge of the investigations. That made me feel happy. Yes, I do think the DOJ is moving slower than we would all like, but they're way ahead of schedule if you compare it to Watergate, which, as Raskin said, was a Cub Scout meeting compared to this hub and spoke conspiracy to overthrow the government. Indictments didn't rain down on the top dudes in Watergate until nine months after the Watergate hearings ended. And DOJ is going to need those transcripts from the committee, which brings me to some breaking news. Benny Thompson told reporters today they are in talks with the DOJ about handing over transcripts. And the ones that DOJ seems very focused on are the ones that have to do with the fraudulent slate of electors scheme. The Trump Eastman Clark conspiracy. And while there's no fucking file marked Donald Trump investigation at DOJ that we know of, you can't investigate the fraudulent elector scheme without investigating Donald Trump. And DOJ, as Barb McQuaid says, investigates crimes, not people. Eastman and Clark 
were raided, as I said recently, by the OIG. Now Maine Justice wants these transcripts. They seem pretty far ahead in that. And we also know that they're investigating, I should have forgot to add this, they're, they are investigating Trump, Trump's connections to the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers because in the Proud Boys indictment, they mentioned Trump's tweet and how it was a catalyst to start that whole violent thing on a roll. I should add that. Making myself a note to add the Tario indictment to the thing. Okay, that's enough singing. In other Justice Department news, DOJ is launching a reproductive rights task force to marshal federal legal resources aimed at preventing overreach from state and local governments seeking to impose new bans on abortion access after the overturning of Roe. Justice officials said the move should consolidate work that was underway in the months leading up to the court's decision, which struck down federal safeguards for abortion that, you know, has been around for five decades. The task force, led by Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta, will be charged with monitoring and evaluating state and local legislation and weighing legal action against states that ban abortion medication or attempt to block a pregnant person from traveling out of state for an abortion, among other measures. The effort will include dedicated staff and representatives from a wide swath of the Justice Department, including the Civil Rights Division, Civil Division, U.S. Attorney's Offices, and uh, yeah, the Office of Legal Counsel, the Office of Access to Justice, and the Office of the Solicitor General. Lots of resources. Quote, the court abandoned 50 years of precedent and took away the constitutional right to abortion, preventing women all over the country from being able to make critical decisions about our bodies, our health and our futures. That's what Gupta said in a statement. The Justice Department is committed to protecting access to reproductive services. Similar to the announcement of the Justice Department task force, the Health and Human Services memo that just came out doesn't include new policy, but seeks to cut through the confusion providers are facing on the ground in states where abortions are now restricted. Senior U.S. health officials reiterated their belief that federal law supersedes state abortion bans, protecting clinicians' judgment when administering treatment during an emergency. And in committee news, from Raw Story, Rep. Pete Aguilar from California, member of the House Select Committee, revealed that since former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson appeared in public in that hearing, more evidence has been gathered by witnesses willing to come forward. Speaking to Raw Story, Aguilar explained that not only have they had more people willing to come forward, but people who we had previously heard from have shared more. Nice. He explained that they're continuing to gather evidence, adding kudos to the committee staff members working diligently to collect it all. Liz Cheney revealed Tuesday that Trump called another witness, even after it was revealed others were intimidated by third-party individuals in Trump's circle. This could be an indication that Trump's lawyers don't have a hold on him the way that they thought. Hmm. Oh, that's, I'm sure, news to them that he's, you know, such a, 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 like, awesome client. Aguilar didn't get the sense that Trump's lawyers ever had a hold on someone like Pat Cipollone the way that it appears they did on Hutchinson, who had Trump's pack paying for her lawyer until she got a new one. We intend to share more, he said, this is Aguilar, the scale and the scope we're still working through, but we want it to be something that people can digest and understand and find value in helping us protect democracy. And from Hugo Lowell, the committee is considering a second series of hearings sometime toward the end of August. Please note. This could push back indictments because DOJ needs all testimony for trial, including congressional testimony. Again, they got to check for consistency. That's what sunk Durham in the Sussman case. 
One of the things, there were lots of things, but Peter Baker telling three different things to three different agencies, including Congress and the grand jury, didn't help. And attorneys for Lindsey Graham have formally asked a federal court to quash his subpoena that demands his testimony before the grand jury in Fulton County, Georgia. The filing asks Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fonnie Willis, whose office launched the investigation into Trump officials in Georgia following the 2020 election, to respond to their motion within three days and quash the state court proceedings seeking to compel his appearance. Nah. (laughs) Later on Wednesday, the suit was reassigned to Judge Henry Herlong. That's a nominee of G.H.W. Bush. After originally being randomly assigned to Judge Timothy Kane, who happened to work alongside Graham in private practice for a long time, so they needed to pick a different judge. I'm not worried about this, but I'll stay on top of it for you. Recently, as I told you, those two the lieutenant governor and one of the legislators in Georgia tried to have their subpoenas quashed and the judge was like, nah, nope, come on in. And some justice coming out of Colorado, the former elections manager for a Colorado clerk indicted on charges of tampering with voting equipment has been arrested on allegations that she was part of the scheme. Sandra Brown, who worked for Mesa County clerk Tina Peters, turned herself in Monday in response to a warrant issued for her arrest on suspicion of conspiracy to commit criminal impersonation and attempting to influence a public servant. That's Lieutenant Henry Stoffel uh, reporting. He's in the Mesa County Sheriff's Office. The arrest was first reported by the Daily Sentinel newspaper. Peters and her chief deputy, Belinda Kinsley, are being prosecuted for allegedly allowing a copy of hard drives to be made during an update of election equipment in May of 2021. State election officials first became aware of the security breach last summer when a photo and video of confidential voting system passwords were posted on social media and a conservative website. Peters, who has echoed Trump's theories about the 2020 election, became a hero to election conspiracy theorists, lost her bid to become the GOP candidate for Colorado Secretary of State last month. Womp womp. She first came into national attention when she spoke last year at that My Pillow Guy conference, the Cyber Symposium. <laughs> the one where the guy came on screen and said, I just got a call from my lawyer. I got to stop talking on your thing. And then just peaced out. Tina Peters is charged with three counts of attempting to influence a public servant, criminal impersonation, two counts of conspiracy to commit criminal impersonation, one count of identity theft, first degree official misconduct, violation of duty, and failing to comply with the Secretary of State. Kinsley is charged with three counts of attempting to influence a public servant, one count of conspiracy to commit criminal impersonation, violation of duty, and failing to comply with the Secretary of State. And content warning for sexual assault of a minor. And I'll give you a second to hit pause or fast forward if you need to do that. Um, This little content warning here. So a couple days ago, you'll remember, Biden mentioned a story about a 10-year-old girl in Ohio who was raped and became pregnant and was forced to drive to Indianapolis for reproductive health care because Ohio has banned abortions after the overturning of Roe. The Washington Examiner reported that Ohio Attorney General Republican David Yost said his office didn't have any evidence of a 10-year-old rape victim in the whole state. Jim Jordan, who turned a blind eye to sexual assault at Ohio State University, where he was a coach, retweeted that Washington Examiner report and added another lie. Anyone surprised? Well, Jim, a Columbus man has been charged with impregnating a 10 year old Ohio girl whose travel to Indiana to seek an abortion led to international attention following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe. I'm not going to tell you his name, but he's 27. And his last known address was an apartment on Columbus's northwest side, was arrested Tuesday after police said he confessed to raping the child on at least two occasions. 
He's been charged with rape, a felony of the first degree in Ohio. Columbus police were made aware of the girl's pregnancy through a referral by Franklin County Children's Services that was made by her mother on June 22nd. Detective Jeffrey Hewn, who testified Wednesday morning at the arraignment, um, said all that. And on June 30th, the girl underwent a medical abortion in Indianapolis, eight days later. The criminal charges and testimony from the Columbus detective further confirmed the disturbing story that has become a key flashpoint in the national furor over the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe. The Indianapolis Star, a Gannett sister paper of the Dispatch, first reported earlier this month that a 10-year-old rape victim traveled from Ohio to Indiana for abortion services after most abortions became illegal in Ohio. The account was attributed to Dr. Caitlin Bernard, an Indianapolis physician who provides abortion services. Jim Jordan deleted his tweet quietly with no apology, not a peep. And the same can be said for all the right-wing media outlets that ran with the propaganda that the story wasn't real, all the way up to and including Governor DeWine and Attorney General Yost. Fuck them all. But in some real false flag news, a Minneapolis man faces federal charges after he lit his own trailer on fire to make it look like a politically motivated crime and then allegedly filed several fraudulent insurance claims. U.S. Attorney's Office says Dennis Vladmirovich Mola, age 29, is charged with two counts of wire fraud in connection with the fire that took place on September 23rd, 2020. Mola reported to the police that someone set fire to his camper because I have a Trump 2020 flag on it. And then they spray painted the Antifa or anarchy symbol and BLM and Biden 2020 on my garage door. The U.S. Attorney's Office said Mola actually lit the fire and defaced the garage himself. Court documents show Mola then submitted multiple insurance claims seeking coverage for the damage to his garage, camper, vehicles, and residence caused by the fire. His insurance claims totaled more than $300,000. He received only $61,000 in the process. He then accused his insurance company of defrauding him. Court documents show he also yielded more than $17,000 from two GoFundMe accounts. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll be right back with the good news after this quick break. Stay with us here on The Daily Beans. Be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hello, everyone. Let me tell you about how I recently upgraded my whole home, including my bedroom, to the next level. I bought The Bed by Thuma. Bedrooms always get left out of home remodels and home redesigns. And and it's a shame because you can really like make a difference there. That's your sanctuary. That's where you get your sleep. That's where the peace happens. And so I got the bed by Thuma. It's handcrafted from eco-friendly, high-quality, upcycled wood, which is very important to me. Looks amazing. Minimalist design. I love it. Part of my mid-century mod vibe. It features Japanese joinery, and it helps elevate my bedroom. It's supportive of my mattress. It's breathable, and it's made to minimize noise and create space. It's just so roomy in there now. I love it. Thuma practices an intentional less is more design philosophy for the bedroom. Clean lines, subtle curves, lifestyle enhancing details. Thuma proves that simplicity is the truest form of sophistication. Made for how you live, the bed by Thuma is backed with a lifetime warranty, ships right to your door in three easy to maneuver boxes, takes five minutes to assemble, no tools. I did it myself, no tools. That Japanese joinery, just, that's awesome. You can easily build it yourself. Along with the bed, they have other bedroom essentials at Thuma, including the nightstand, the side table, and the tray. They're all perfect complements to the bed. They all go together. So create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel suite, but at home with the bed by Thuma. And now go to thuma.co slash beans 
and you'll get $25 credit towards your purchase of the bed, plus free shipping in the continental U.S. Again, go to thuma.co slash beans. That's thuma, T-H-U-M-A dot C-O slash beans for a $25 credit. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, any photos you want to send, tell me about your small business, whatever you want to send in, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. I'm going to kick this off with a submission from anonymous, pronouns she and her. Hello, lovely ladies. I'm contacting you to remind you we have a brand new generation of voters coming of age during our next presidential election cycle. My son began reading the voter guide in elementary school. He would tell me which candidates he wanted to vote for and how he would vote for propositions. We would then do further research together and he would codify or alter his position based on what we found. I took him with me to vote for the first time during the 2012 presidential election when he was six years old. I even let him fill in the bubble for Obama. Recently, multiple sclerosis has made me quadriplegic and I now have to rely heavily on his research to help me navigate each election. My brave, beautiful boy came out in the seventh grade and promptly started a pride club at his junior high. I'm reminded through him that the future is not at all bleak. I have included a couple of photos of us post mother son salon days and a tradition that that, that is a tradition going back to elementary school. <gasps> oh, <laughs> this is beautiful. This is so beautiful. You know, my mom took me to the polls when I was a kid. And I'll, I'll never forget. And I think I've told you this story. Right? This is back when the poll was made of wood. The booth, the voting booth was made of wood and it had like cloth curtains with metal rings. And she she looked at me and she said, this is important. What I'm doing is important. And she said, in there, no man can tell me what to do. In there, no man can tell me what to say. I love it. This is beautiful. Next up from Anonymous, he and him. Thanks for the enlightening wake up every morning. We're fighting the good fight in bright red Louisa VA. Sending a pic of our girls, Sabasha and Sadie. Sabasha's the gray one and Sadie's the doggo. Oh, I love those dogs. These collies or Shetlands. They're so beautiful. Next up from Valerie, pronouns she and her. Hello, beloved community. This is the second time I've written in. The first time was about buying holiday gifts for colleagues while imagining them as kids and then donating them to charity. I remember that. My good news is that he's gone. Alexander Boris DePreffel Johnson, DePreffel Johnson has resigned. So now both of the Russian compromised, ridiculous haired, fetid leaders of the UK and the US are gone. I have had bubbles chilling in the fridge since Tuesday for this just this occasion. I'm delighted to pop that cork tonight to say good riddance to bad rubbish. Now, I know it's not entirely over. As of this writing, there's talk he might still seem to cling on by installing himself as a caretaker prime minister. But having 59 members of your cabinet resign in protest and try to get you to go is quite something. I know, Valerie, I wish we had that here. I wish our Republicans were as brave as in the U.S., the damage that he's done will take ages to rectify, and the U.K. is far from out of the woods, as far from being back on track, which is why I'm so glad I live in Scotland and have other options to vote. But my schadenfreude is a powerful today. 
The conservatives have waged financial war on the working people of these islands for 12 years. And hopefully England and Wales will see how bad they've been for everyone's standard of living and come to their senses in the next general election and vote them out of office. But for today, it feels like the boil on the arse of the country has been lanced. And now it's time to break out the disinfectant and the Prosecco. I've included a picture of one of my happy places. My husband and I were fortunate enough to buy our first home in between the first and second lockdown of 2020. We've been working slowly on making the back garden into usable outdoor space. No small feat with the weather in Scotland. My Colorado love of outside living will not be suppressed. Me neither. And mine's not Coloradoan, but yes, I agree. Not everything is in bloom yet, but under the plum tree, which has plums on it for apparently the first time in a very long time due to some heavy pruning. In the yellow planter, I've put loads of zinnias and all sorts of colors that I started from seeds I bought from a Ukrainian shop on Etsy. There's a heliotrope and Mexican fleabane and some dwarf sunflowers as well. The planter itself is a project. I'm pretty happy with it. It's on an old steel two-drawer filing cabinet flipped on its back, painted with wheels on the bottom that I upcycled from gum trees the start of May. The other picture is one of my two black cats. This is Olaf basking in and warming his tummy on the step from our back door that gets the most sun in the summer afternoons. Thanks for everything you do, keeping track of all this hideous shit and doing it with a laugh. It's no small feat. Oh, wow, this is beautiful. I love that couch. What a cool idea with the planter. And there's the kittens. Thank you for sending that. Hello, Kitta. Hi, Olaf. All right, next up from Carolyn, pronouns she and her. Hello, Leguminati. I have some misheard lyrics for you. I love me some Africa by Toto. Me too. Reminds me of my elementary school days in the 80s in Oklahoma. 1974 babies are the best, right? Yes, Carolyn, we are. Apparently, I had some serious misheard lyrics. Easier to understand rather than I bless the rains down in Africa. I'd heard for so many years, I guess it rains down in Africa. Given Live Aid and the Bob Geldof song with all the famous Brits, why, why can't I recall the song now? I think I could be forgiven. But about the other misheard lyric, instead of hearing ain't nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do, I thought for years it was ain't nothing that a hundred men on Mars could ever do. Me too, Carolyn. Me too. I thought it was Mars. Perhaps she says I had too many aliens on the brain. <laughs> for Pod Pet Tax, I present the fish. This is my planted tank. Finally paying attention to it after moving back out of my husband's home office so we could redo our floors. It's now back and my crazy looking plecostomus survived the ordeal. Let's look. Oh, hey. Hello. Hello. <laughs> awesome. That's amazing. Look at him. He's so cool. I like his spots. Next up from Sandy, pronouns she and her. I want to thank AG and DG on being a great team. I know she's not here today. I'm sorry. <laughs> like many, I've had to deal with Rachel Maddow withdraw. The two of you have taken her place and tying things together and making sense of the nonsense going on. When the two of you get the giggles, that is just the whipped cream with the cherry on top. Pet tax. This is Bugsy. He is one of my pack. He recently passed his pet partner's evaluations. Oh, I thought, oh, that was a roller coaster. He recently passed his pet partner's evaluations as a therapy dog. <laughs> He'll be joining a group called Angel Paws in Texas. Not bad for a dog found under a car six years ago in Garland with his sister, who I also have. What a good boy. Looks big. I love German Shepherds. My favorite is when they do the side, the head tilt. Huh? 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 They, they're very good at that. Next up from Trish, pronouns she and her. Hey there, Queens of the Beans. 
If their CEO weren't such a right-wing nut job, I'd dub the Goyalty. <laughs> Love it. I'd like to submit a shit kid say story. A friend and I were chatting and her three and four-year-old daughters were playing in the next room. The play got loud and heated as the older girl kept teasing the younger one. Before their mom could break it up, the younger girl shouted at her sister, knock it off, skin tag. <laughs> uh, I found it hilarious. What a perfect insult. It conveys the recipient of the jab is annoying, unsightly, irritating, and useless, all in two little words. As my pet tax, I'd like to submit Fergus. He sits this way all of the time. I use this picture to show my expectant mom patients to show them how to sit while I place their epidurals. Oh, <laughs> oh dude. That is fantastic. Is that how you have to sit when you get an epidural? Ow. I hope you took yoga. <laughs> this cat is so cool. Skin tag. That's great. Somebody once referred to someone I know as a pound of pennies. It has value, but in a really annoying way. <laughs> anyway, this is that's great. Skin tag. Look at the ears. I love this baby. I love that he sits like that all the time. I sit like this, human. He looks so cool. He looks like he's got a huge personality. Same with uh same with Bugsy, the German shepherd dog. Thank you so much for these. These are really amazing photos. I really love this uh, anonymous um voting with the with the matching hair. Salon days. That's so cool. Thank you so much for all these. Send in your good news stories, pictures, whatever you want to send me. We only got another, what, day? Day or two before Dana comes back. I think it's another day. So uh, please send everything in at uh, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Thanks for hanging in with me. Uh, going solo this week so that Dana could go out on a boat, make money, be funny. Um, I appreciate you all so very much. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll see what kind of news drops. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>